Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing 1917, which came out in New Zealand this year, and Birdman, with a subtitle about ignorance and something else, rather, rather. What is it? Birdman and the... The unexpected something or of ignorance. <laughs> but this is it. We are ignorant about it, and that's entirely applicable. So clearly that name's a fail. Uh, Birdman, which came out in... Hold up, hold up. Oh. The unexpected virtue of ignorance. Ah. Well, there you go. So we're virtuous. <laughs> which came sense. out in... Nah, 2014. 2014. Oh, 2014? Yeah. The, the, the great year of 2014. Yes. What a year for movies. Amazing. Cool. And the connection being that they are both films that have a continuous shot as a key feature of their structure and style. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I am going to hand this over first to Sarah to hear about 1917. So 1917 is a uh, World War I movie directed by theatre and film director Sam Mendes. Um, it does a delightful thing by putting at the centre of it two young Lance Corporals, uh, Blake and Schofield, um, who are played by, I would like to say, relative newcomers, um, George Mackay and Dean Charles, Ch- no, Dean Charles Chapman. And the two lads are sent off on a perilous mission through no man's land and into enemy territory to deliver a key message to another British uh, battalion um, that ought to save lives. Brilliant. And William, Birdman. So Birdman is directed by the great Alejandro González Iñárritu, um, who has done some really cool stuff. And I think this is, this is a real meta tale of a character played by Michael Keaton, who, I mean, 30 years ago starred in some amazing high-budget, high-grossing superhero movies, but now kind of wants to break free of that and start a career on Broadway, much to the chagrin of, well, everyone around him. Mm. Uh, it, details his relationship with his producers, his daughter, uh, and how his life is just spiraling out of control. Brilliant. And it's worth noting, as always, we will be discussing both films in detail, which will include spoilers. And both of these films have some, well, more bird than, than 1917, have some good surprises. Uh, so yeah, be warned if you haven't seen them and you don't, don't want that journey to be spoiled. Pause this episode and come back and listen when you've seen both films. All right. Let's jump in. Who wants to start? So the reason, obviously, that we put these two films together is the startling, uh, although now not, uh, you know, not exactly commonplace, but uh, uh, less um, original idea of having many or one continuous shot throughout the film. It goes without saying, and we all know this, and we would have known it before we saw the film, that because it is physically impossible to shoot a two-hour movie all in one go, that, um, that actually it's the effect, isn't it, of one continuous shot mm-hmm. rather than the technical prowess of that actually being a thing. But I just want to say, back in 2014, when I went to see Birdman, I did not know that that's how it was shot. And I went in to a press screening, so there was no talk about this film. And I remember, I remember the way that it starts, thinking, oh, good, oh, I love a long take, I do, oh, I like this, I'll see how long it goes. And then it went on and on and on and on, and I burst with excitement. And I remember at the end of the film, I breathed 
And I feel yeah. as though I had held my breath throughout the whole film. So therefore, it was hugely affecting. I gave it probably six stars out of five and thought it was utterly brilliant. And that was the effect of that in Birdman. For, for me, knowing that 1917 was that way, it, it, you know, it reduces some of the kind of wow factor. But actually, it doesn't. Because then when you watch 1917, you think, holy mackerel, how'd they do that? And isn't it stunning? <laughs> So that's my sort of that's my podcast. <laughs> mm, I love Birdman. I loved it when it came out, and I love I loved it rewatching it this week. Uh, obviously, the actorly mm-hmm. connection. Oh I, yes, I, the whole theater space and going in and out of Broadway, both on stage and backstage and on the street, is something quite thrilling. And a lot of those characters and personalities. Uh, I, you know, I've known lots of people like that, and they're familiar tropes, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But the the long shot made perfect sense to me. It's the sense of theatre being in real time, mm. being being uh, you know tangible, and things being affected by the environment and having to change and shift. And it makes sense to me in that story why it is a single shot. In fact, it's not a single shot. It cuts. There's a cut. Near the end of the film, I think, where he shoots himself. Shoots himself, yeah. There's multiple. And at the start of the film as well, there's a couple of cuts as well of, mm-hmm. of a comet landing mm-hmm. um, and a shot of jellyfish and things, which become clear as the film goes on. But I, I, it was just a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess the other couple of films that I think of, in, um, you know, between Birdman and... Um, 1917 is one is gravity mm-hmm. and the use of long takes in that, mm. uh, which is um, Alfonso Cuaron, one of his, his sort of things. his things, yeah. Um, and he yeah employs that to great effect with the first 15 minutes of that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he talks about. Uh, when he was making that movie, the technicians coming to him saying, "Oh, we can extend the shot. We could, we could have it. We could have a transition here. We can turn the camera here, and that'll." Mm-hmm. And he said, "No, no, that scene's over. The, yeah. the shot ends because mm-hmm. that's where the tension ends." Nice. And so, whilst Birdman, it made total sense to me, and I agree with you, it has that sense of tension. I didn't love it in 1917. Uh, I, I felt that um, it was boring when the two guys were walking around at the start and you're just following them walking. Right. I, I thought this didn't need to be a long shot. Right. Um, it was harrowing, and, and I couldn't, I almost was like, oh, this is so tense in the scene with the cow and the plane mm-hmm. and all that, yeah. that which was brilliant. Um, but there was just times where I thought, actually, I'd quite like to see what's going on in other parts of the scene and not just be stuck with this person. I wish that was more like a Dunkirk rather than a 1917. Sure. Yeah. So that was yeah. my kind of take. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would kind of agree with you there, Jeremy. Like, I, I'll start with 1917, which I, I saw last night. Um, so it's still pretty fresh. And I, I'm overall pretty disappointed by the movie, to be oh. honest. It felt really video gamey. And not in a good way. Mm-hmm. I think when... Do you guys remember Spielberg's Tintin movie? Yeah, yeah. I loved yeah. it. And th- there was that, that sequence yes. uh, where they're all looking for the scrolls. And it's this Bavura, like, three-minute single take. Yes. It's animated which, with a virtual camera. Yes. But everything is choreographed, like, to utmost perfection. Yes. It's just, it's so thrilling. And yes. by the end of it, you're, you are gasping. Um, and there are moments like that in, in 1917. But... For the most part, it felt like a, a pretty weak narrative, to be honest, that mm-hmm. was bolstered by this gimmick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I agree, Jimmy. There's, there's bits in it that, that didn't need to be in a single take. And they, you know, they, they kind of cheat with time a mm. little bit in, in places. And there is one cut, mm. a very, very definite cut in there. When he passes out. When he passes yeah, out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
Um, but the but, fact that it then resumes with him and carries us on gets away with it. Doesn't feel yes. so much like a cheat mm-hmm. as well. We've all passed out, and now he's up and we carry on. So, but I hear what you're saying. It yeah. reminds me actually a, a little bit of um, how they used some of the time dilation in that movie we all saw, uh, Searching. Do you guys remember Searching? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. And how some of that was in real time, but a lot of it, uh, they used certain graphics on the computer to denote like the passing of time. Yeah, which right. Which is pretty cool. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, like I, I guess the movie does achieve a kind of dreamlike quality. With 1917. One, 1917 does. Yeah. Uh, with one event going on to the next, which is very video gaming, but it felt like, it felt like I was watching someone else play a video game. Right. And Which is very popular boring. pastime. No, look, people well, oh, streamers huge thing on the internet, isn't it? Not so, you know. But okay, so watching yeah. them, maybe that's a new thing. Watching people watch nineteen seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, yep. Yeah. <laughs> All in one shot. No, okay. Yep. Whereas you know, Jimmy, you bring out Alfonso Cuarón, and I, I want to, you know, take us all the way back to two thousand and six and the experience of watching children or men far out Brussels sitting on sprout. the edge of your seat. Yes. And the, those long takes again. Maybe it was just going in, as you say, like not knowing there were going to be these long yes. takes. But when the shot just keeps going and going, and the chaos starts building, and it all climaxes, it's it's amazing. And it's the, incredible. And the tension ends when it needs to. When end. it needs yes. to end. Because the other film I was I was going to bring up the other film that that, that Alfonso Cuarón has brought out in between these two films, uh, which is Roma. Mm. And there's that similar moment as well. Mm. Uh, there's a number of moments in Roma, but the one at the end with, in, the, in the ocean, it's just mm-hmm. like, how did he do this? <laughs> yes, yes, and that's then, right. But the moment has its moment, it has its tension, and then that part of the story moves on. And her walking yeah. down the street, and then the camera going up into the shop. Or there was, yeah, there are mm. lots of beautiful, glidey, continuous takes. So, mm. yeah. Speaking of glidey, 1917 does have very, very glidey camera movements. Yes. Uh, astonishingly so in places. I, I love how one of its magic tricks is that it puts the camera oftentimes in these very crowded environments yes. full of, you know, what looks like 500 extras. Yes. And somehow manages to maneuver this, this magic floating camera so it doesn't bump anyone. Yeah. It doesn't get obscured by everything. Everything is perfect. And I don't know if that's digital trickery or... I mean, I, I read in places where they, you know, they erased some cranes and some yeah. scaffolding, but... Holy moly! That that hand shot footage and that all, all those the the rigs and the dollies amazing and stuff. steady cam obviously yeah. and I think that I mean you've mentioned the word choreography and for me this whole art form of the continuous shot is about mm-hmm. the choreography and we'll get onto that particularly in Birdman um, but that's what I'm that's what I imagine you're so right we're in a tiny little narrow trench as you say ridden with extras I gotta mm-hmm. say I thought to myself what a bum to be that guy because <laughs> now he, and now we pass him and we'll never see him again you know the little dude on the left or the right or whatever who has to look pale faced and sad for a moment <laughs> and then his you know seconds are over but I'm absolutely right the, you can imagine just the the, the being behind the rig and it's like okay you're out quick move ready do, do you are you ready to move on but, but you know I just think that would be astonishing the one that impressed me the most is that scene with the, the soldiers singing to the battalion and he the, the, you know, one of the lead characters comes in and just sits down yes and the camera sort of sweeps around and yes. he comes through them on the yes. ground I'm like I was like how did they do <laughs> yeah, this and that's I, right I think this my, my sort of um, three word review of 1917 is Meh. 
Roger Deakins. <laughs> yeah. Like, meh, except for him. Because yeah. the work that he did is incredible. And nothing has impressed me more. Well, one of the most impressive things I've seen in a long time was that sequence when he wakes up. And just the flares and the light and the... Mm. Oh, I mean, it reminded me of Skyfall, actually, mm. of the this, the final sequence of Skyfall, which he also looked, you know, he also looked after. But with Sam Mendes my gosh that sequence mm. alone mm. deserves yeah. any awards thrown at Roger Deakins yeah. if, you know he's deserved them for years um, but yeah, what's your thoughts on Birdman because oh, I, I, I love that. Birdman again as yeah. as with you guys you I loved, loved it, it the second time when it came out in 2014 loved it when I saw it a couple of days ago yeah right um, it's I mean you guys are absolutely right the the gimmick is used for an absolute purpose like mm. it is there. I mean, it's thrilling, but it also really shows just the the spiraling of Rugen's mind, mm. um, and how you know this 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 is putting us, the audience, in his shoes, mm. right? Um, and there there are some sequences in it that are are more inventive, more thrilling, more funny, more scary than than any action movie or horror movie mm. or, or, or flat out comedy that's out there. Um, I, I'm thinking specifically right now of the scene where he gets stuck outside the theatre. Mm. Another moment of how did they do that? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, th- th- there's no change in focus on the camera. The lighting is perfect. You go from backstage to a rainy alleyway to Times Square where there's 500 extras yeah. to Broadway back into the theatre, back on stage. It makes this huge loop like... This is just a magic trick, and we are along for the ride, yeah. and it's amazing. One of the things that Birdman does, which I only realized whilst watching it after seeing 1917, is that whilst Michael Keaton's character, Riggin, whatever his name is, whilst he's the lead, we get to see the lives of the other people as well, mm. and the camera weaves its way through, and we see little snippets. Yeah. And there's a, there's a number of scenes that are with other characters. Um, and so it gives us a break from his story, and it mm. gives us uh, more context that allows for more intense setups that are you know the, the the work that would have to happen in real life is happening behind the scenes and then we come into it whereas 1917 we never leave those two young men yeah mm-hmm. and i think that brings into the film a mundaneness that you could argue it's world war one but equally i'm like eh. i think well I, i'll respond to that but i just wanted to with your riggan point i think um and it is beautifully handled that we actually as you say get the fleshed outness of his sort of the supporting characters in his world um and then there's that delightful feeling when somebody walks back in shot like ed norton mm. who miraculously goes from being drunk <laughs> on stage and smashing the place up and eating chicken and then suddenly he's sober and they're walking down the hallway yeah. and he's like look you just have to run with it blah 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 you know but i love that sort mm. of segueing of of moments and scenes in birdman and and i you've sort of alluded to this jeremy that the theater is absolutely the right place for it because in a play there are no cuts there are no edits and there are no retakes. Um, and so, yes, it feels really, really apposite. Um, To be fair, though, to Mendes or whoever came up with, well, it was Mendes, obviously, who came up with the idea in 1917. One of the things I like a lot about the film, and I gave it four stars, not a million like Birdman, but I did appreciate it, but I didn't love it. I liked that he used two 
well, I call them newcomers. I know that we've seen their faces, and you've mentioned, Jeremy, that there are other dudes from Game of Thrones, which means many people will know him better than I. But ostensibly, they are not Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, Mark Strong, and the dude from... Game um, of Thrones. And the other dude from Game <laughs> of Thrones. Richard Madden. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and no, Richard Madden, but also the other guy who's from Fleabag. Um, oh, oh Andrew Scott, Andrew Scott, and yeah, Pop Priest. Right. He was, to be honest, he was, the moment he came to the film, I was like, yeah. oh, this is actually interesting. Yeah. He's so charismatic. <laughs> yeah. But then he gets his one scene and then that's that. But I actually mm-hmm. thought, oh, that's kind of a nice way of doing it, that we're following two young lads, um, likable and, and warm and charismatic and who had a nice chemistry, I thought, in order to sort of want to follow them through their story. Benedict Cumberpatch was a nice surprise as well because I might have seen in a trailer that he was in it, but I'd forgotten. Mm. And then, and I just hadn't expected that this general would be anyone of any note. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's quite cool. Yeah. But you yeah. see, after we'd had a, mo- a smidgen of Colin Firth and a smidgen of yeah. Mark Strong, you know, I guess. But I like that way round of doing it. I, I don't know, Sarah. I, I'm going to... I'm going to fight you on that one. I'm I, not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really I really felt that this this thing, this casting of you know big-name actors and bit parts just completely took me out of the movie. Like, oh, oh, it's Mark Strong. Oh, oh it's I Rob see. Stark. Right. Oh, it's Hot Priest. Um, <laughs> every time it happened, especially with Benedict Cumberbatch, it's like, oh, my God, oh, it's I Benedict see. Cumberbatch. And he's playing the exact same character he's playing in War Horse. Like, that's... I, I'm the, you know, kind of haughty, step upper crust general. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did not okay. like that. Yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I really like the two leads. I think they're fantastic. And mm. they, there's just great chemistry and great mm. overall, you know, it's camaraderie, but mm. it's also, it's pain, it's sacrifices, it, it's good stuff. Mm. And then you have Mark Strong come in and say, I, I recognize that voice. Oh, it's Mark Strong. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, guys. Like, not. No, totally fan of fair stuff. enough. Totally, and I don't want it to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Well, let's talk about this because I, I mean, want I'm Ford generally... versus Ferrari. Oh my! <laughs> no, God. you don't. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> Why is overall, it even on the list? I mean, we may do a, we may do another Oscar podcast. I guess mm-hmm. that's, that's a discussion to be had soon. But I, I, I'm over overall. I fully agree with the the criticisms of the Oscars is overly white, overly conservative, and it's sort of been this <clears> conversation that's been going on for a long time over the last couple of years, and it's it's just. Man, the films that are nominated this year, what a Come missed on. opportunity. You have, you have a World War One and a World War Two movie. Oh. That's amazing. Wait, what's the World War Two one? Jojo Rabbit. Oh. <laughs> but at least it's, I mean, at least Jojo Rabbit has some spontaneity about it. Yeah. I mean, but it's not a best picture film. And I know that this is a whole different podcast, maybe, but... Uh, if 1917 wins, boo Yeah, boo, boo, man. Boo. <laughs> you know what will win is Parafrickin' Sight. I, I hope, hope so. so. And man, do not relegate that to flippin' best, best, best foreign film. It was best international film now, wasn't it? Oh, okay. So I, I watched, re-watched Parasite uh, this week with some work colleagues who'd never seen it in a, in a wonderful surround sound setup. Mm. It was one of the greatest experiences still. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It's yeah. such a brilliant film. But back to 1917. Yeah. I have to back up what William you said about the premise. I was so underwhelmed. In fact, I was talking to um, uh, my colleague and we were talking about just generally being unexcited about 1917 because it just seemed like another war film that wasn't necessarily adding anything new to the conversation. I mean, at least with <coughs> Dunkirk, you had a structure that was so compelling mm-hmm. and such a joy to unpack that helped elevate what was being discussed. Mm-hmm. And it was about having to wait and being, you know, there's some new themes and ideas in there. But 1917, how many films have we seen? A couple of people going on a mission and then the story being, war sucks. 
War, <laughs> war <laughs> destroys us. War's inhumane. But do you um, still feel that? Having seen Absolutely. It, despite the continuous shot? Because yeah. for me, it was about immersion. I know it's an overused phrase, really, but I, I feel as though f- literally following them through the trench... I mean, look, that bit where they go over into no, no man's, one man's? No man's, no man's land. Um, and uh, there's the, the situation with the, the cut in his hand and the corpse and the rat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that stuff... That's you, pretty amazing. It, it's fantastic. That is, that is, I will get, uh, definitely, those moments. And I didn't want that cut, um, mm. by which I don't mean I didn't want it cut out. I mean, I didn't want actual shots or scenes. I liked that whole thing of, he's still got the bandage on his hand mm-hmm. and it's gone in the water. I was so preoccupied with him rinsing that off, yeah. I have to say. But um, <laughs> Well, when he got the brandy, I thought he wouldn't disinfect. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh, please, just, disinfect there was something, But also, there's, there's a lot of tropes. Like, it really frustrated me that the, the only female character well there's two female characters right because one of them was a baby but the only woman in the whole film tends to his wounds yeah, yeah. i was like boo oh, sure, sure, <laughs> boo. sure. Um, and, and that was that was just i guess part of the video gameness of it like, sure it does you know it hits all the beats if, if this was a first person world war one yeah. shooter there would be the cutscene with the french girl and you know underground there would be the cutscene of him floating down the river it really felt like one thing after another in sequence. Uh, sorry, which is a movie. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's but, but, but in a way that, that was strangely, you know, it felt disconnected and felt like I, I wasn't as excited as, as I should have been. There's a few films that this reminded me of. So one was Revenant. And that it's I that kind of harrowing Revenant. journey, but yeah. I, I enjoyed Revenant. Now, is that Inuritu or Koron? That, that's Inuritu. Good. Yeah. I'm yeah. so. I was going to say I'm so racist. I'm just ignorant, really. But okay, those Three two. Yeah. It's um. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a brilliant film, uh, uh, Revenant. Mm. Um, I do feel like it gets ridiculous when he falls <laughs> over the mountain with the horse and still survives and then lives in the horse for a bit. Um, but brilliant film. And but the, it sort of reminded me of that, but kind of not as good. Like it wasn't as good a version of like man against nature and the and the environment. Whether that oh gosh war. no. The other film of obviously is um, Saving Private Ryan, where there's like a familial connection mm. and there's this mm-hmm. there's this mission to go and save this do this thing, which again not as good as Saving Private. But also Ryan. that shot, may I just say, the shot in 1917 where the camera goes over all of the bodies, the dead bodies mm. and the bloody water, reminded me of Saving Private Ryan. Mm. And then George Mackay is the, is crawling up the yeah another thing. good moment oh yeah. horrific really good moment. and yeah. just him crying I thought was quite humanizing yeah um and then the other film that it reminds me of is apocalypse now which is one of my top two favorite films of all time mm-hmm. uh and that you've got this this mission that's presented particularly the colin firth scene is very much like mm. the harrison ford scene in apocalypse now but again it's wait it's harrison ford harrison ford has got a small scene in apocalypse now oh yes 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 yeah. okay oh wow and he's part of the team that briefs um mm. willard on his mission to go up the river so it, it but but again not as good as apocalypse now so mm. i just sort of came away well, i went into that film expecting a pretty average <laughs> war film and that's exactly what i got yeah. with some amazing sequences yeah mm-hmm. but i am not convinced that it's adding anything of meaning to a discussion about war no mm. Oh no! So it's just it's purely for cinematic purposes and to show what we can do now with cinema. That's with technology. Yeah, that, that's yeah. all I got from it, and that's fine. Like mm-hmm. I, the story was engaging enough. That was yeah. fine. I couldn't have cared less about Richard Madden, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, sorry about that. But um, well, well, what about, about his, his trembly lip? No, not even. <laughs> but but it, but without that shot, without the continuous shot sort of effect. Um, no, it wouldn't have been worth watching at all. So, I don't know. It... Uh, but then I think about something like Dunkirk, which was another film that did remind me of being that it's a recent 
uh, war film. Um, and Dunkirk did, you know, by all you know, all intents and purposes, kind of a similar, and then it has a gimmick. Then. Oh, but that's but yeah, was so effective, so effective because I think the, the the gimmick was so much more woven into. Mm-hmm. The and it had of Mark Rylance. Ah, oh, there's your yeah. problem. If you, don't, <laughs> if you don't cast Mark Rylance, mm, yeah. And that shot as well. And um, I was watching a video the other day with um, possibly with Quentin Tarantino discussing with somebody about that shot and. Dunkirk, where the, the character's holding his, his hands over his head mm. and there's the explosions going off one by one and you're mm. seeing people being cast asunder. Yeah. Um, mm. That in itself is, uh, again, a far more impressive version of the shot in mm. 1917 where yeah. the guy's running and there's like the rugby team running well, past him. Which is a <laughs> strange setup. I, I don't know, because the, the trenches didn't look that crowded. Uh, and plus I, I kept thinking he'd be bayoneted by one of the dudes. <laughs> <laughs> in 1917 yeah because yeah. they're all like rushing forward yeah. towards enemy lines with bayonets sticking out and he's like running in front of them see I loved that I, I did love that f- scene at the end where he is running 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 and the and the um the men are coming over the ridge mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a technical term and they are hurtling across him mm-hmm. and I feel that when I cross the corner of Victoria and Queen Streets <laughs> um, on the on the crossing and you know I, yeah. I have always since university years <laughs> I have always made it my policy to just keep going, but I am the one. <laughs> I will dodge people, but I will never stop. Mm. Um, and I don't know, it's a game that I, I love like your to policy. play. <laughs> I have a policy. No, but it's I love not, it. you know, I'm just going and you better get out of my way. <laughs> I reckon if we all just did it, I, with my expert driving skills, would just be able to keep on going, but I never oh. stop. That's how I felt when George Mackay was running towards me Bombs are going off, and the mm. people are um, the the people. The soldiers are hurtling <laughs> over the ridge, and all that sort of thing. I thought that was really cool. And mm. when one some of them, when one of them bowls him over, because that's what would happen, and he gets up and keeps going, I thought that was really great. Well, that's probably a good segue to come back to that point about choreography mm. and Birdman, because they they rehearsed that I think for six weeks. They rehearsed oh, that, really? that whole thing, and of course they had to have it tight, yes. both in script and in. And action because they couldn't edit anything out no. in the post. No. Um, but I, I just there's some wonderful moments and like you said, William, the lighting and also the focus mm-hmm. is so on point. And I'm just thinking of one moment where I can't remember which character is whether it's um, Riggins' ex-wife, whether it's his current girlfriend, or whether it's Naomi Watts, who's wonderful by the way. Mm. She leaves his dressing room and she's walking down the hallway and there's a door in the in the foreground and it opens and and Edward Norton sort of yeah. pokes his head out, yeah. sort of farcically almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's some great moments. But, so that. the thing that I noticed the second time around with Birdman, and, and I enjoyed it slightly less, but I think it was because I found the characters more annoying this time. Mm. Because apart from Edward Norton, who I just think is brilliantly, arrogantly, spectacularly <laughs> fantabulous, um, some of the others I found, I found Emma Stone a bit annoying as a character. I found Lindsay Duncan as the, the critic. Um, who, you know, dared to say, I'm going to close your play and all that. You know, it was all just a bit eh. But anyway, that's fine. But anyway, the thing that I noticed technologically this time round, obviously knowing the continuous shot thing, was how many times it would, um, there would be a, a quick pan to somebody mm. down a corridor who's been eavesdropping and then they'd cut back. And that's where those cuts happen. Yep. So then I started, you know how there was that article um, that with the, the editor of Birdman who said, however many cuts you think there are, there are many, many more. And I started to go, oh yeah. And then Emma Stone goes into a darkened corridor. Oh, there's another. Da, da, da. And don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be all like, 
oh, well, I can see where all the cuts are and that diminishes it at all. But I just was more present to them this time round. I would find it harder to do that in 1917, to be mm. fair, even though there are obviously heaps of cuts. So did you know, just talking very quickly about the, the way that they cut 1917, one thing I was really impressed by is that interview with Roger Deakins, not Roger Deakins, the interview with the editor who said that at the looking at the dailies each day, he and Sam Mendes would figure out what they had shot, and they shot mostly in sequence, didn't they? And then Sam would, Sam, my mate Sam, <laughs> would, um, would shoot the next day according to what they had got that far, because they weren't going to go back and reshoot anything, mm. but it would be like, oh, if this is the way that this is looking and this is the tone and this is the angle we had on their face and da 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 that's where we'll go from now which is I think a really unusually organic way to mm. create a film I would have thought I like that I do like that I think that's that's that process is quite nice it's just a shame the story wasn't better but interesting though hey yeah. taking what you've got and going okay well this is how this feels now and so therefore how about making it more da 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 and that sort of thing whereas Birdman I'm incredibly impressed that they rehearsed that, as you say, six weeks. I, I know what you're saying about some of the annoyances. I feel the same with I love Emma Stone as a performer and mm -hmm. I loved her character when I first watched it, but they're very neurotic, which I guess is all part of the, <laughs> the kind of intensity of that story, isn't it? Mm -hmm, they're sort of mm -hmm. taking themselves far too seriously. I think mm. the most level-headed and lovely character is his ex-wife who comes in. Amy Ryan. Isn't Amy it? Ryan yeah. is just wonderful. Yes. She was in a film recently that I saw, Late Night, with mm. um, Emma, Emma Oh, Thompson I didn't bother to see that. Mindy and Kaling. Mindy Kaling? Mindy Kaling. It's, it's, it's pretty underbaked in terms of its story and script. Mm. Yeah. It's completely saved by the charisma of Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Right. They just lift the whole film. But Amy right. Ryan plays the villain in that, that piece. Mm -hmm. And she's she's wonderful. And I, yeah. I've actually forgotten who she was. Like, she used to be is. fantastic and in everything. And probably up until Birdman, she was sort of much more of a person. Yeah. Mm. Much more of a person. No, sorry. But I mean much more of a, a name. You know, yeah. you, you'd get Amy Ryan in something. Yeah, she true. She disappeared for a while. Yeah. Uh, I was just, just going to say, Birdman, with all the neuroticism and talk about social media and, and everything, it, it, you know, watching it now in 2020, also just seems like such a, such a horrific view of our present. Did you guys get that? Like, mm. Um, all the talk about Twitter, or when when you know Mike, Michael Keaton is out in Times Square in his undies, and mm. like there's just a horde of people following him mm. with their cell phones, and that was 2014, mm. and it feels like this is just the norm now, and it seems strangely prescient, like it's this nightmare mm. nightmare society where everyone's disconnected, everything's a flash in the pan, and everything is about you know. Viral virosity. Yeah, I loved. I agree with you. I, I didn't love that, but I definitely felt that as well with the oversaturation of superhero films. And the oh. whole commentary on that, <laughs> and I also thought as well this judgment of art only being worthwhile if it is real. Mm. You know, and Edward Norton's obsession of real. And I also felt that as well with the critic character and her. Um, high art opinions of theatre mm. and I just think there's all these different opinions and neuroses that have just exacerbated by what you've just talked about which it, is social media and, and the, the new wave of how we consume media the thing mm. back, the thing is in 2014 or 13 if that's when he wrote it that that was a satire and the same with the Lindsay Duncan critic um, her, her suddenly giving the play a rave review because it reaches reality because he shoots his face <laughs> off you know what I mean it's clearly satirical because it's absurd but I think that's what's so alarming is that in 2014 we didn't know it was prescient but it was uh, and it would have felt like a really satirical commentary and now it's just the norm yeah that I hear you William that's what's so sad is we're like yeah, yeah 
Now you have Scorsese's, you know, talk about Marvel movies and people rallying against that. And it's like something straight out of Birdman. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, uh, that just got, talking about the critic, there's a shot in that film that I just blows my mind and I don't know how they did it, which is that shot where, where I mean, it's all one shot, right? But when it sweeps mm-hmm. out to the audience. Yeah, and she and, gets up and... And, <laughs> and you, you can see her. There is, yeah. a, there is an audience full of people. Yeah. You see her. And Stand up and walk out. No, but even before that, you can see her sitting there. And oh. then everybody stands up, she's sitting there, and then you see her walk out. But my eye was on her the whole time. That's yeah. interesting, yeah. How did they do that? Is it to do with her the, the fact she's the only person wearing a certain colour? I couldn't I don't see know any discernible... I don't know if it's a subtle focus thing. Sometimes, obviously, mm. they use lighting in a particular way, don't they? But you're so... I think often, for me, it's focus. Mm. Is that... Um, I will be suddenly conscious that I'm looking at someone in the background because I'm meant to be noticing them. And I think, oh, that's clever. They forced my eye. Um, but I'm, <laughs> And yeah. on, in that moment, I was looking for costume. I was looking for lighting. I was looking for probably focus as well. I couldn't see any. No, anything. right. Um, the only thing was maybe she was the only person wearing glasses or something. You know, right. I mean, there's, there's something there that they have done and it's brilliant. And yeah. I don't. I need to go back and rewatch it a few times. Or, or, or Google it. it because there will be there will be somebody in Hollywood who is paid to come <laughs> up with the thing that will draw the audience's focus mm. to someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So this talking about I guess the conversation about best picture winner. This did win best picture, mm. um, and I think I've looked back. I'm currently doing my you know top films of the decade and trying to figure out what that looks like and what films are it's basically just 2014 I think yeah. we've agreed yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 2015 my two top films come uh, from 2015 all right. um, but anyways looking back at the best picture winners of this decade it's pretty damn depressing yeah um, you've got Birdman and Moonlight I think that's pretty much the only films that I'm comfortable with is there anything else you can think of that's one best picture that I haven't got the list in front of me I can't remember um, Jeremy Green Book Oh, <laughs> was, that only, was that only last year? That was only last year. Wow. So The Shape of Water, which I just... Oh, oh, I, 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 I thought that was a fun Best Picture winner. It's, it like, it's not Best Picture, but no, I'm glad they gave it But at least they went that. there, yeah. It was what a Fishman movie, and they gave it Best Picture. Yeah. <laughs> Can we go through? Do you mind? I mean, no, no, but wait, The Artist, which is just... Oh, the Artist. I, no, I love The Artist. And look, I mean, I'm, yeah. I am a bit probably one for a bit of a gimmick. And so mm-hmm. it was the first time we'd seen a black and white silent in, fr- in French and blah, mm-hmm. blah. Oh, I, I thought that that was a, a cute, innovative, also um, quite a meta sort of Best Picture winner because mm-hmm. it is all about... The film industry. God forbid once upon a time in Hollywood wins this picture, but it's not going to, is it? Oh, I think I actually think it could because it's I that whole self-fascination with, um, yeah. with... The golden um, with golden, age. but also just yeah. cinema like Hollywood loves congratulating itself, yeah. which is why artist the artist one, right? Yes, but that's mm-hmm. that was then. This is now. Surely everybody knows that that's just how Quentin rolls, and we like and good for you. And but they'll give it to him as a legacy award, right? He's he's never won a best picture. It'll be that film. It'll be I'm, like oh, I'm quite comfortable this is his with ninth. That. Oh no! Yeah, we need to get what if the his last tenth one. is rubbish. We yeah. better give it to him Star now. Trek. Or Kill Bill oh. three. <laughs> Oh, They're not going to give Kubel 3 a best picture. Okay, so Hurt Locker. Wah, wah. Okay. A good oh, really? film. Yeah, that was worthy, it was, yeah. It was fine. Oh, is it? It was I super mean, tense. Wasn't oh, it directed by a woman? Yeah. So. This is true. And like as Amy Poehler and, and Tina Fey you know, it's a film about torture. And, and in terms of torture, I trust the woman who spent three years married to James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Would you rather Avatar or Hurt Locker? 
Oh my god, Avatar makes me want to fuck. I I didn't love Avatar when it came out, but I've gone back and watched it. I have. I really like it, and I'm really excited about the new ones. What? Woo! Okay, uh, the King's Speech was 2000. That's got to be the bottom of the barrel. No, it doesn't. I do not like that movie. Marvelous, and it was British, and I think that must have been when they decided to actually give Best Picture to maybe a film that wasn't American. So you know, Uh, number or 2012, sorry, was The Artist, as we've discussed. 2013 was. Argo. Oh, yeah. That's a film I forgot existed. Yeah. It was, it was okay. It was a, yeah, pretty good. Uh, 2014 was 12 Years a Slave, which is a film I mm. hate with a burning passion. Yeah, that was a really good film. Yeah, I just find it horrible. And I love Gravity so much, and that should have won. <laughs> yeah, Gravity totally should have yeah. won. Uh, 2015 was Birdman. Mm-hmm. 2016 was Spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. No, but again, they're all issues movies. Yeah, they're a bit boring. 2017 is Moonlight, not La La Land. Which is also an issues movie. But it's, but it's good that it wasn't La La beautiful. Land. Yeah. It's a oh, look, it's a wonderful film. film. I actually I actually loved Spotlight and gave that five stars back yeah, in the Spotlight day. Spotlight is but great. I, I love like, to watch process it again. movies. Yeah. And then the other ones are the ones we've discussed. So The Shape mm. of Water um, and, and Green, Green Book. Mm-hmm. Which is an abomination. Oh, it's and it's, feel good. And, and it's like, in terms of a film about race, there was, there was so many better options that year. Mm. Like you had, um, I haven't seen Black KKK Klansman, but I know you didn't like it, no. Sarah. But you were quite. Uh, you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. No. Um, but there was that film by Spike None of Jones. us liked it. Don't worry. Okay. Well, I've seen it. <laughs> um, there was Roma, which was in my mind the best picture yeah. winner, but they're never going to give it to it because it's Netflix. Yeah. Um, and then there was there was something else that year as well, which I can't remember. Yeah. Are you talking about last year? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we shall see if 1917 yeah. is going to be the one that takes the cake. Can we just finish off real quick talk about music? Yes. Because I think music is effective in both movies. Uh, absolutely. Thomas Newman's score is amazing. Mm. Uh, mm. It, it's so rare for, you know, this day and age to have a score like that. But it's, it's very classical, very traditional. It swells in the right places. It's dead silent. In, or the soundscape, at least, is dead silent in, in others. Like that moment where they first go over the parapet into No Man's Land. Mm-hmm. And the camera kind of... Whoosh, um, and then the music kicks in. Oh, so good. Chills. I, chills, I agree. I absolutely agree. And I, I didn't know it was Thomas Newman. And I, I always, whenever I love music and films, which is often, because I think music is such a massive part of how, how good a film is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really, really surprised that it was a Thomas Newman score. <laughs> and I loved, um, again, I loved that whole sequence with the flares and the music mm. there is so kind of sort of spooky and yeah. almost science fiction-y. You, you see the silhouettes of enemy soldiers and they just run towards them like, holy moly, this is this is really intense. The big burning building and just yeah. the but just the strangeness and it's almost like it's underwater and there's mm-hmm. this sort of row I just like the sound is sort of wheeling around like a great So of, how many stars would you have given um nineteen seventeen if you had to give star rating out of five? It's a three-star film for me. Really? So all that and yet only three. What about you, William? Yeah, probably three. Holy mackerel. Because yeah. I just feel that whilst the technical stuff was wonderful, it was mm. so underwhelming mm. in, in every other aspect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Birdman with its its percussive score, which is it's so unique. It ties the whole thing together so beautifully. And it's been imitated, I mean, many, many times since. Uh, these are, uh, again, going back to video games. Have you guys heard of a game called, it's called Ape Escape. Uh, no, what's it called? It's called Ape Out. No. Ape Out. Maybe I'll show you a video afterwards. But it's it's basically 
the opening titles of Birdman as a video game. Oh. Um, with a drum score that kind of reacts to how you play. And it's it's just so, it's spontaneous mm. and it's crazy and it's neurotic. Mm. Um, yeah, completely the character of the movie just brought forth in music. I think one of the cleverest things about the Birdman score was the fact that you hear the drums and then all of a sudden it becomes diegetic. Yes. Um, and there's the dude. Yeah. Now when the dude is on the street and they're walking past him, I was like, oh yeah, he's busking. That's yeah. really cleverly done. It's so cool. And then later on, it's less credible because they're, they're within the theatre and um, Riggins walking out, isn't he? Walks past and down a corridor and mm. the camera pans that way because they need a cut. Jokes, not jokes. Um, and, uh, and there's the drummer, you know, in yeah. there. And that seems a bit, a bit, yeah, less realistic. But yeah, that was nicely done. I found it very discomforting, the music. Mm. Um, and that's like obviously part of it. Yeah, that's right. Strange. I agree. I loved I loved the music in both films and their, their percussion. And interestingly, the, the film was not allowed to be entered into the best original score in the Oscars because they use classical music in there as well that um, was deemed adding to the emotional effect of the film and therefore was not eligible as an original score. Right. Uh, but it won every other flippin' sc- mm. score award and, and, you know, it was just wonderful. But in terms of, like, that piece you talk about, Sarah, of the, the mixing of what is real and what is not... Mm. Um, which again is wonderful in a film that's obsessed with with realism, <laughs> but in terms of the characters are obsessed with it. But it's just the film itself is not. Um, there's some wonderful moments where that blurs. Like I love the the flying scene. I've forgotten mm. when he's flying and he lands and he walks in, and then the cab driver's chasing after him for <laughs> yeah. money. Yeah. Um, and you've got the moments where you are questioning all the time what is real and what's not real. Yeah. Um, like there's the, sh- the the homeless man screaming the the Shakespeare and the yeah. thing. Is it the porter speech That's from Macbeth? That's Bill Camp. Yep. I realised this time round. I recognised him. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I now say what he was from? No. Um, but you'd totally know him if you look back on him. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, "Am I giving it too yeah. much?" And yeah, like, I he, did he asks it for you. Yeah. yeah. And so it's that whole that whole piece is so wonderfully woven into the tone of the film and the other thing i'll say is that you know and we've alluded to this that that birdman doesn't profess to being in real time no even though it's in a continuous shot there's a number of moments like the most notable one is when um ryan got oh, no, ryan gosling it could have been ryan gosling for all i know um edward doesn't, norton doesn't edward norton shout at him why don't you just yeah. get ryan gosling yeah. so yeah <laughs> yeah um, Edward Norton and Emma Stone are sort of making out in the in the rafters, and then the camera kind of pops over, mm. and Edward Norton's in the scene That's below, right. and, and so there's a lot of um, moments like that, or the camera going well, through the TV screen is another transition. And I hadn't noticed it the first time I saw it, but this time I noticed that that we go from Riggan, um, basically, in, and it's the night before the preview, but he's not dressed up and ready to go, and he's ranting about whatever it is, and then he walks down the corridor, and then he's in his costume, and he goes out, and the play's already underway mm-hmm. and suddenly Andrea Riseborough is already there on stage in costume doing her thing so it must have been actually it's just after she said I'm pregnant with your child uh yes yeah, so yes there are some very interesting surreal leaps in time aren't there and also there's the call for him to come down for second act and that's it's like right. one mm-hmm. tiny scene and that's the end of the play so I'm like hmm, there must yeah. be more that's going on there yeah. as well Yes, I hadn't realised the first time. I think I was so much like, is this still one take? <laughs> that I hadn't quite twigged 
how many leaps there were and quite all the, the surrealist sort of moments. Because I'm, I'm sure that's not Michael Keaton in the mirror at the end, is it? With the busted up face. I think that's another actor, but I never didn't get round to having a look oh. and checking. I think it's just a fake nose, isn't yeah. it? Oh, it's I thought m- it was prosthetics. It's more than that, because the guy has the same mouth as the guy in the Birdman suit, which is not Michael Keaton's mm. yeah, Michael Keaton. voice. Yes, my, that is Michael is Keaton. Is it actually? It's a CGI, pretty de-aged version of his jaw, but it looks, it looks like him. It looks really different. When he's chasing him down the street, I mean, it would make yeah. sense, obviously, that it was him, and you could do that, but no, for some reason I thought that it wasn't, but okay. And can I, before we wrap up, I just want to mention Zach Galifianakis is brilliant. <laughs> so Naomi Watts is brilliant. So good. Yeah. I mean, everybody in this film, their performances are just impeccable. Yeah. Amazingly narcissistic. Which I, and his, his character is as well, isn't it? So. <laughs> no, I meant that. <laughs> I love him. I thought that was brilliant. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can find us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, Radio Public and Stitcher. You can also subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, which are great places to let us know what you think of the films discussed in this episode, as well as give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, all together, Kakite Anno!